And we want to thank him for being passionate about us and passionate about the relationship that he has with us. Last Sunday, we talked more about the passion that God wants us to have for, for him, for the relationship that we have with him, that he wants us to have that desire. He wants us to have that passion for who he is in our lives, in every aspect of our lives. But get this, this is what's so exciting for me. This is what is, to me, so amazing about the Scripture, is that no matter how passionate we are for God, we could never match the passion that he has for us. God is so passionate about the relationship that he has with us and the love that he has. Look, it doesn't matter if we have experienced just tremendous renewal and revival. It doesn't matter if we can feel the fire in our bones. We still cannot match the passion and the love that God himself has for you and has for me. That's awesome. And that's what I think David is speaking about in Psalm 139. That's where I want us to look this morning as we talk about this relationship and we talk about the passion that God has for us. In Psalm 139, David expresses again his heart and his life to God. And he recognizes that this God of heaven knows him and loves him. This God of heaven is passionate about his pursuit of him in every area of life. I want you to hear David's words again as you begin to read verse 1 of Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. But there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Hades, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all well written. The days fashioned for me. When as there, when as yet, there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. David giving this testimony. David speaking to God and recognizing the passion that God has for him. I want you to note this as you hear David's words, as you hear his testimony, I want you to see how passionate the Lord is. And especially 
how he passionately thinks about us, how he passionately ponders us, how he passionately knows us. In those, in those opening verses, I think David recognizes how God knows him better than he knows himself. That God knows him better than anyone else. Notice what he says again in that opening verse. He says, you have searched me and you have known me. God, you have known me in this relationship. You have searched my heart and my life and you know who I am. Lord, you think about me. You think about this relationship. You think about who I am. And David even fleshes it out for us just a little bit. In verse 2, he says, you know my sitting down and my rising up. Later on, he'll say, you're acquainted with all my ways. You comprehend my path. In other words, when David was speaking to God in such a way, he said, God, you think about me. You, you passionately ponder me and who I am, and you know my activities. You know everything about me, where I go, what I do. You know my activities. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Look, today with all of our technology, we can keep up with each other in such a wonderful way, right? And that helps some of us some of the time. I remember when we had decided we were going to get Abigail a phone, okay? Now, Abigail's only 12 years old, all right? And for all of these years, I have said, Abigail is not getting a phone until she's 18 years old. You know what I'm talking about? Not going to have one of these young children with a phone. It's not going to happen. You ever said things before? And then reality turned out to be something a little bit different. You know, I, I, I just said to myself, I just think it's useless and all the things that you've probably said before. But we finally decided we would get her a phone. But this is a neat thing about the phones today. You can track where that person is with that phone, right? Or at least you can track the phone. So I gave Abigail the phone, and uh, she had the little app on it where I could track her. I could see where she was. And I said, baby, I said, here's your phone. Hope you enjoy it. Remember, this, these are the proper things. These are standards. Make sure that when you send something, you know, I went through all of that conversation with her just a little bit. And by the way, I'm thankful for a youth minister like John Nugent, who has about 120 youth this weekend over in camp, and they're addressing some of these issues, by the way, how to experience technology, how to make sure that you maintain your integrity even through these kinds of ways. So I'm very thankful for him, by the way. But I told Abigail all these things about standards and how you're to keep your integrity as you, and I said, and baby, let me tell you something. This little thing right here, it tells me where you are all the time. And if this thing ever goes off, you won't have a phone anymore. You know, because I want to at least I don't know where the phone is. So, so, so it's kind of neat. You, you can track them. You, you, did you know you could do that, by the way? Leslie tracks me. She can see where I am all the time. She asked me to put that app on her phone. Yeah, so she can know where I am. It's amazing the things that you can do today. But listen to this. David said, God, before there was GPS, before there's anything else, God, you knew where I was. You knew what I was doing. You knew what I was going to be about. You knew every activity of my life. You knew me. It's amazing. But not only 
Did David say, God, you, you ponder me, you think about me, you passionately know who I am, you keep up with me. Not just my activities, but he says my words. He says, you know the word before it's even formed upon my lips. He says, as it's just there, God, you know what I say, and you know what I am going to say. He says, you know me that intimately. And he also says, God, you not only know my activities and my words, but you know my thoughts. You know my thoughts. You know what I am thinking. Now listen, we can chart people's activities. We may even be able to chart the words they actually say. But none of us in this place have the ability to track and chart other individuals' thoughts. And yet, David said, you understand my thought afar off. You have known me. You have known the thoughts. You have known my mental capacity and what I was going to say and what I'm thinking about in my life. You know me. Now, it can be a great thing when we consider our thoughts of joy and pleasure and delight, right? I mean, God knows. God knows my heart and he knows my thoughts. He knows how I delight to see my wife walk into a room. He knows how I delight in that. He knows the, he knows the joy I take in seeing my children achieve things in their lives. He knows the absolute pleasure that I have when I see a 12-point in a scope of my rifle. He knows all of those things. He knows all of the good things. He knows our thoughts. That's what David said. David said, you know my thoughts. But what is frightening is he also knows those dark, difficult thoughts that we have. Listen, he knew, he knew what I was thinking when that customer service rep at Academy said they couldn't give me the full price of what I'm trying to return. He knew what I was thinking at that point. And let me just tell you, it wasn't the most godly thing. He knew. God knows when he looks at my desires and he knows that I want that fourth piece of lemon icebox pie. He knows that. You may not, but he does. God knows. Listen, he knows the joyous thoughts in our hearts and lives, but he also knows those difficult, dark areas. He knows those thoughts of loneliness and despair. He knows those thoughts of temptation. He knows all. All of our thoughts. I say to you, it is difficult when you begin thinking about the places our minds go. It is difficult to think about how somebody else might know those things. And yet God has. Think of David. I mean, David's heart, his mind had gone in so many different areas. Whether he was on the battlefield whether he was dancing before the Lord, 
or even whether he was up on that rooftop. God knew all of his thoughts. God knew his heart. And get this. This is what I think is so amazing about this. God knows all about us, just as he knew all about David. And he still extends the relationship to us. For us to come into relationship with him. I mean, God knows everything about us. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our victories. And yet, through all of those things, God still says, Hey, I love you and I want you to come into relationship with me. I want to think about you and I want to know you and I want to experience intimacy with you. That's what God says. I think that is one of the most amazing and gracious things that we could ever consider. I think of John 4, for example, when Jesus goes up to the Samaritan woman. You remember that he offers her this living water. She has some misunderstanding, misunderstanding in the beginning. She's thinking he's talking about earthly water, material, temporal and yet he's talking about the spiritual, eternal water. And he invites her to taste, to drink this water. And then uh, he says something to her like this. Hey, uh, go back, get your husband, and then, and then come back. Why don't you go do that? And, and, and uh, she says, well, uh, <clears throat> I actually have no husband right now. You remember what Jesus then says? Jesus says, that's right, you've had five husbands. The guy you're living with now is not your husband. And you want to think, whoa, Jesus, you knew all about that Samaritan woman. You knew how she had fallen short in her life. You knew her background. You knew her current status. Get this. Jesus knew all about her. He knew her better than she knew herself. And he still offered her the living water. And see, that's great. God doesn't call us to come clean ourselves up first. What God calls us to do is to come and enter into relationship with him. And guess what? Then God is in the cleansing business. He extends the invitation to us to come. He knows who we are. He knows our thoughts. And there's some of you who are here today thinking to yourself, you know, but if God really knew, if it, he, he wouldn't want me. He, he wouldn't do anything in my life. My friends... God knows you and he still loves you. He thinks about you. He passionately ponders you in his heart. And he knows you so well because he created you and formed you. Did you hear this? I mean, David's talking about all of God's knowledge, his omniscience, how he knows everything and then David just simply reflects and says, God, you know me, and you know me so well because you are the one who formed me. In my mother's womb, you are about the creative activity. You are knitting me together. You are taking all of the complexity of human life, and you are putting it together in such a way that I could experience life itself you've got to love those words i mean for you for my inward parts you covered me in my mother's womb he says i'll praise you marvelous are your works my frame was not hidden from you when i was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth you saw my substance being yet unformed 
How beautiful are those reflections? How beautiful are those words? To know that, God, when I was in the womb, you knew who I was. God, God, you know my DNA because you're the one who placed the DNA there. God, you know everything about me because you were the one who, you were the one who was in the creative process in those early days of my life. He passionately ponders you. Listen, before, before you ever could desire the relationship with him, God had already, God had already loved you and sought that relationship. Listen, from the womb, from the womb, God wanted, he wanted to enjoy a relationship with you and with me. It's a tremendous thought. And without moving too far into other areas this morning, let me me just say this. God still seeks a relationship with all of his beings. All of humanity itself, God wants to enjoy that relationship. And God is concerned about all of human life. All of human life. Why? Because we're all created in his image. And what he wants to do is to come and enjoy that fellowship with us. And God is concerned about the life that is in the womb. Just as he is concerned about us today. Isn't it amazing how God is in that work even when we are in the womb? You know, you heard Brother Dale mention this earlier, but across the Southern Baptist Convention today, we recognize what's called the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. The Sanctity of Human Life. In other words, it is a time for us to value life itself and to call emphasis to it. We should certainly be esteeming life each and every day of our of our existence. We should be esteeming life every time we come together within our congregations But at least this is a Sunday where we could focus just a few moments on the sanctity of human life. And when you hear David here talk about God's passion, his passionate knowledge, his his passionate seeking of us, we should be reminded that, that God is still concerned about life and the value of life in our culture. And may I just say this to you this morning? Now, I just say this to you this morning. One of the most tragic things, if not the most tragic thing, that has occurred in our culture and in our nation is the devaluing of life in the womb. Every year, every year annually, the numbers add up to something like about a million abortions. A million. I went on the CDC website last night and uh, was trying to look up just to make sure I had figures right. And when I looked up the CDC, it said that the number one cause of death in the United States is heart disease. That's what it says on CDC. About 610,000 or so last year. And listen... I understand, I see people all the time who are affected by heart disease and, and, and we pray for those individuals. We know that's something that, 
our medical field has to deal with. But folks, that, don't, that doesn't seem, that still doesn't come close to that annual rate of death for children in the womb. I say to you that we as God's people should cry out and repent of our sins. And we should pray that every day our culture would return to God. And that we would value, and that we would be able to say, listen, what we'd be able to say is, you know what? Before God even knew you, he loved you. And before God even knew your child, he loved your child. Before that child was even formed, God knew what he was going to do with that child. And God had a purpose, and God had a plan. You see, what we need to do is not only talk about how we are against these things, and certainly we are, but we want to say that there's a purpose and there's a plan and that God values life. David said, God, God, you knew me and you do know me. And yet, God, you still love me. Because, see, David says here that God, well, he ponders our relationship. He knows our relationship. He loves us. And what is also amazing to me about reading this verse or these verses, is that God passionately pursues our relationship with him. I mean, he passionately pursues our relationship with him. Now, certainly, when you read verses 7 through 12, we would speak something of the omnipresence of God. In other words, that God is present everywhere. We would do that, especially we believe that affirms that. I see one of my... Seminary professors here, Dr. Steve Lemke, he would make sure that I had my theology appropriate and ready for those. I, I'm so proud that today I can still come and, like, preach to him because you know how much he preached to me and taught me in seminary? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. But verses 7 through 12 does speak to the omnipresence of God. It, it does. That God is everywhere. God is spirit. He's everywhere. I, I know that. And we, we can talk about that. All the day is long. But, but also, I hope that you will note the personal touch of this. Listen to what David said. David said, if, if I were to try to flee from you, if I were to try to go somewhere else, if I were to try to remove myself from your presence, guess what, God? You are there. And while it is a statement about God's omnipresence, I think it is also a statement about how God so loves his child he is so in love with his child that he will pursue him anywhere and everywhere to keep that relationship. I think it is specific to the child of God, to David himself. As David says, God, even if I wanted to separate myself from you, you are there. And how many of us have experienced that in our lives? Where we walked away in certain terms... And yet, even as we walked away from the fellowship that we had with God, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, even as we walked away, guess what? God was still there with us, right? The Spirit of God. I'm a firm believer. Even if you turn your back on God and you're a child of God, God will not leave you alone. The conviction of the Holy Spirit of God will be upon your life as you have traveled into those distant lands. I just believe that God loves his children so much that he will pursue them to reestablish that relationship. Francis Thompson wrote this poem many, many years ago, and he entitled it, The Hound of Heaven. 
the hound of heaven, as God himself pursues his children. I love that. I'm sorry, I'm from North Mississippi. Kind of like the hound analogy a little bit, okay? He is unrelentless in his pursuit of his children. He will chase them down, whatever it takes. He says, it doesn't matter where I am, in darkness or in light. It doesn't matter if I try to ascend to heaven or I find myself in the grave. God, you, you are there. You're pursuing me in this relationship. I, I, I remember when I was probably about eight or nine years old. I had this meaningful moment in my life. It is a simple moment. And some of you are going to dismiss it today. And Leslie's going to hear this story again and say, Reggie, it's time for you to get some counseling for that. Reggie, stop telling that story. You've told me. I don't think I've ever told it in the church, but she's heard me mention this time and time again. As I was one evening at my grandparents, they lived just across the way from my house where I grew up. I went over to my grandparents. I stayed there a lot. And one evening... My grandparents had fixed these milkshakes, awesome milkshakes. You know, Granny's milkshake is different from everybody else's, just like everything else that goes on her table. You understand what I'm saying? And they allowed us to go into the living room to eat the milkshakes. Now, that was a big deal because we just didn't eat in the living room. You ate in the kitchen. But somehow, in some way, we went into the living room. We went in there, and uh, we were you know, drinking our milkshakes, enjoying things. And you would know, you would know, this boy spills his milkshake. Right there. Right there. I cannot tell you the embarrassment and the shame that I had. I know it's just a milkshake. I know, and you're not supposed to cry over spilt milk. You're not supposed to do that. I know all of those things. But I could just feel the shame all over me to where I finally just, I didn't say a word. I just got up and I began to run. I went, ran out the door and I was running to my house. Now, they weren't, on, they weren't getting on to me. I wish they would have, you know, like pick me up and whoop me, you know, do something right now. But the shame is overwhelming. And I just, I just, I just cut out running. My grandfather was in his 60s. We called him Daddy Dewey, my Daddy Dewey. He, about halfway to my house, all of a sudden, I felt a big old arm catch me. And I looked up, and it was my Daddy Dewey. And I thought, finally, he's going to spank me. He's going, that's what I need at this point. But he picked me up. A guy that was not known for his tenderness at all picked me up. Brought me right back to the house, settled me down, and got me another milkshake. I know that's not a big deal for you. And some of you say, you took that much time in your sermon this morning for me? I've never forgotten. This big, tough, burly-like guy, this old farmer, my granddaddy, chasing me down and bringing me back. And you know, I think that's what God does for us so many times. 
Listen, there's some of us that are children of God and we failed in certain ways. And, and can we be honest? The embarrassment and the shame can just totally consume us. So you know what we do? We run. We run. We run from him oftentimes. Sometimes we'll run. We'll make sure we're not even in the church context because we don't even want to be anywhere associated with his presence. But get this, get this. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how far you run. David says, God's there. God's there in every place. And for the children of God, I believe that he is constantly there in our lives bringing us. Why? Because he loves us so much, he pursues us passionately. He's not going to give up. He is the good father who will pursue his children. And listen, he'll do it all the days of your life. I don't know if you noticed this, but he said, God, you know the days that have been fashioned for me. God, you know those days, you know that time. And he is speaking again in the context of God's presence. He's like, God, it doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter how long I live. God, you're there. Your presence. And what's awesome is when I come to a moment to celebrate the homegoing of a believer, when God calls a, one of his children home, I can come to this pulpit and I can say that even in that moment that they have not been separated from God's presence. Because even in death, the believer continues to experience God's presence, even in a greater way, in a greater capacity than they ever have before. Because nothing, listen to me, nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He passionately pursues us. And certainly, as you read the last few verses of David's psalm, verses that seem to move away from the beauty of those initial comments, you'll see where David will cry out for protection because he knows this, God will passionately protect his children. When David cries out here, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear the pain and the anguish. He recognizes the enemies. And, and look, God already knows his heart, right? I, I love this about David, that David doesn't try to conceal his heart or his desire because he already understands God knows him and God knows what he's thinking. So just, just in our prayer time, and we'll focus more on the idea of prayer later on in our relationship with God, but may I just say this up front? When you go to God, just be honest with him. There, there's, no, there's no reason to add pretense to your prayer because God already knows who you are anyway. So just talk to him. And David says, God, you know I've got these enemies. And God, I'll be honest with you, I hate these enemies. And God, I need you to do something. I need you. And, and, and it is. It is so different from the tone of the rest of the psalm. But hear, hear what David is saying David is saying, God, I believe you will passionately protect me. You'll, you'll watch me. You'll take. And so many of the Psalms, as we read through them, maybe in these next few weeks, we'll even see the emphasis 
upon deliverance that God will bring. That God's the Savior in the midst of those difficult times. God, protect. Passionately protect. Do whatever it takes. Listen, if God loves you that much, listen, if God loves you that much and he wants that relationship with you, he will protect you and that relationship. Paul will put it this way in the book of Romans. If God has not spared his only son for your behalf, if God has not spared Jesus Christ, then think of what lengths he would go to to protect us and provide for us and to do what is necessary for that relationship that he has with us. So what does David say? David says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. God, you just know me. Because God, I believe you're more passionate for me than I could ever be in my own personal life. God, I believe that you are passionately thinking about me, pondering me. I believe you are passionately pursuing me. I believe, God, you are passionately protecting me. And when we come before God with that kind of attitude and perspective, listen, it will not be difficult to see the desire and the passion in our hearts ignited for that relationship we have with him. May we be the people God calls us to be. May we enjoy that relationship and may we see him as the passionate God he is. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we praise you. We bless your name for initiating the relationship with us for caring for us, for pursuing us. God, thank you for the passion that you have for your people. And God, this morning, may we respond in an appropriate way to that passion as we worship you and as we adore you, as we commit ourselves to you. God, as we follow you afresh and in you, we pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? During this moment of reflection and invitation, would you come as God calls you? Would you respond to him?